You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the LA International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in LA since 1989. I'm going to attempt to give you 3,000 years of Bible history in less than five minutes. So um, keep up. No. Um, as we're doing, we know we're getting into the book of Acts and we're going into the series, but I don't think we oftentimes think about the history and who those people were and why they were. What are the things that led to the events of specifically Ken's going to get into today of Acts 1 and 2? And the history of Acts, obviously we know this is in the, the handful of weeks since the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, this is one of the three times a year that Jewish men were required to come to Jerusalem if they could. See, the book of Pentecost doesn't start in Acts. It actually starts in the book of Exodus. It was the time where they came to commemorate the barley festival, so the harvest. So it's interesting. Jesus dies, resurrects, and they're going to celebrate a harvest. But then also it was the time to commemorate the giving of the Word of God, the Torah at the time, the first five books. And so they would take this time very serious. It was a solemn time. Uh, traditionally, the book of Ruth would be read during this time. And it was a time where they would come to remember the giving of the Word of God. There would have been approximately 125,000 people by the lowest estimates in, in Jerusalem. So you know how much that would have impacted the city? The city of Jerusalem inhabitants that were there all year round were about 125,000 people. So the city literally doubled from Passover to the Pentecost. And so during this time, you've got people that have, you would have had Jews there, that would have been there for the Passover and stayed. You would have had Jews there that couldn't be there for the Passover, but coming in for the Pentecost with their with their offerings. Would have been off, bringing offerings of other families that couldn't come. So there would have been Jews from all over the world. In Acts 1 and 2, when Peter and them get together, there would have been, by most estimates, about 100,000 people in the courts of Jerusalem that day at the temple. It's a pretty intimidating time. They're living in fear. There's confusion. There's chaos. They've been celebrating and remembering and waiting for these moments for a long time because they knew that one day the Word of God was going to be written on their hearts. So they were celebrating the written Word and the giving of the Torah and the harvest and the plentiful gifts that God gives them. But they were waiting for something more and they knew it. These were very devout people to the Word of God. These were people that were looking for answers. And it is in this backdrop that the book of Acts kicks off. It's in this backdrop of 12 apostles that have been scattered, of people that were living in fear. The Romans were threatening to kill more of the believers and looking for anyone they could find. And you had this very chaotic time, uh, but they had remembered all of the good things they did. Isaiah and Jeremiah talked about this time, uh, mentioning this holiday specifically. So when we talk about it and we read about it and we think about it, remember that this was something they had been celebrating every year for 1,500 years since the time of Moses. That they had been celebrating, waiting for the time that God would complete that act and write, the word, write his word on their heart. And so generation after generation being told story after story, traveling year after year after year to Jerusalem, wondering, could this be the year? And it is in that backdrop that the books of Acts unfold. Awesome. Great job, Dink. All right. Uh, it's great to have Dink with us, isn't it? To give us a background. He gives us a firsthand account as he was there uh, 2,000 years ago. All right, so um, we are going to do uh, Acts 1 and 2 today, and uh, as we go through, it's great to have the campus with us, 
Because as we go through the book of Acts together, when we reach, I think, Acts 17 or so, we're going to find out about the lecture hall of Tyrannus, which is a school, and uh, we're going to have the campus to uh, do a full-on um, campus service uh, for us during that time. That'll be sometime in um, November or so. Amen? All right, so uh, we had a great uh, time last night uh, with the campus. We kicked things off with a beach bash, and I really appreciate the UCLA alumni. Let me get you guys to stand on up. UCLA alumni and Todd and Tanya uh, really uh, welcomed the kids um, to the uh, beach bash last night, and it was great to meet the UCLA students as they joined SMC and um, West College as well. And I really appreciate uh, just the campus students and some of the things that are going on there. That's the crew last night. It was a lot of fun. Play some volleyball. Uh, appreciate Brandon's uh, communion today, don't you think? Yeah. Uh, I was walking in the back, and I was talking to Rick Meckhamson, and Me- Meckhamson went, uh, wow, the, the stereotype is true. <laughs> the stereotype is true. Uh, I want to demyth and debunk that stereotype as an Asian myself. I've never uh, argued about one point with my professor. Um, my one point never really made that big of a difference. So uh never really had that opportunity. So, Brandon, uh, between me and you, we're kind of going to even things out a little bit. Wow, I, I didn't know that it hurt you that much at one point, but I'll pray for you, okay? I, I will definitely... You got my heart there, brother. Uh, so you want me to talk to that professor? Like you want a note or something? Do you want a note? Like maybe we can all write a note for you and get that point back. We want that point back. The series that we're doing is called Under Construction because uh, as they were building the church in the first century, we are doing the same today. Okay? So as we look at these scriptures They're meant for us to really look at and to interface with and to really consider, okay, what does that mean for us today, 2,000 years later? And as we get to the book of Acts in Acts 28, it's almost like it was never finished. The book of Acts uh, left with Paul in jail there in Rome, and the Bible says that he spoke the word unhindered and boldly, okay? And that's perpetuating until what we're doing today, okay? So it really helps us to understand that the church is under construction. It's kind of like LAX. You ever been to LAX? You hear that? Oh, he says, we are building a world-class airport. I, I moved here 10 years ago. I heard that 10 years ago, and I took a flight like two weeks ago, and I still heard the same thing. It's like LAX. I mean, we're continually building and adding new things. I grew up in the Bay Area in San Francisco. The Golden Bridge, uh, the Oakland Bay Bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge is like that. Every time they finish, they'll start on the other side over again. They always are painting the bridge because it's such an iconic um, uh, structure uh, in the Bay Area. So the book of Acts, really, uh, we're studying out what it means to uh, see the New Testament church, and we're going to take some lessons from the New Testament church, and we laid out some things there, a deepen our understanding of God's word. Uh, We want to build unity in our fellowship, love people like true disciples do. Those are the three things that we want to do. It's not fitting there because I think we're switching over from PowerPoint to Keynote. That's why you're going to see a little bit of um, a switch there. Next time we'll, we'll, we'll do a better job. It's my fault, actually. All right. 
as Dink mentioned, that this is not just a bunch of guys getting together in Acts 2 or Acts 1 to start a church or a club on campus. This was prophesied about hundreds and thousands of years before the church got started. And Isaiah talked about it. He says, this is what Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. God's vision has always been an international eclectic group of people. It is not like what we see today, as some social commentaries have said, that Sunday is the most segregated day of the year. And people will tell you that. They say that, you know, on the regular days we go to work, we have to intermix with people, but on Sunday, that's when we get to be with our own people. I can't believe that that's what is coming out of the mouths of Christians even. But yet, that's what it is. And yet, when we look at the scriptures, and we are what? Informed by what? Society or scriptures? Scriptures. So when we see stuff like this, it should really help us to understand, get a vision of what the church is all about. Amen? This is about probably in the 7th century B.C. And as Dick mentioned earlier on, Daniel talks about the kingdom of God too. And the vision that he saw, that all these great kingdoms, the the, the Greek kingdoms, you know, the Babylonian kingdoms and the Persian kingdom, they're all going to crumble. The Roman kingdom, they're all going to crumble. But God's kingdom is going to live and move on forever. And that's what we want to talk about today. It's not just that we belong to a church that is hidden in a, in a little corner somewhere, that rents out a facility in the city, you know, veteran center, but that we belong to the kingdom of God. When I was a 21-year-old campus student, I was uh, 21. <laughs> I, uh, it was in the midst of the Tiananmen Square riots. And one of the most iconic pictures that will ever be forever etched in my mind is the guy who stood in front of the tanks. And they say they don't know what happened to the guy after, right? Now that makes sense. It's a communist country. He's probably dead or in jail rotting somewhere. But he was walking home, and from the picture, they can guess that he went shopping somewhere because he he looked like he had shopping bags. He saw a column of tanks coming down, and he stood in front of the tank column. And the guy in the tank didn't want to run him over, so he was trying to go around. But every time the tank made a move, he would follow and he would mimic the move of the tank. One of the bravest things I've ever seen in my life. And as a young man myself, trying to figure out what am I going to do with my life, that etched to something in my mind that says, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. It's to not stand in front of tanks, but to make a difference. <laughs> to do something great, to do something bold, to, to really uh, inspire other people as well. And to be honest with you, the dinky little church in the corner of a neighborhood is not going to do it. It's got to be something bigger. And that's what God gives us. Amen? We're part of something that God dreamt about. We're part of something that God envisioned, and we don't have time to look at it, but we're part of something that God sent his son to die for. That's why it's so important to really study this out and really think through what are the implications for us in our generation. Amen? We're going to look at uh, Acts 1 and 2, and we're going to look at some central themes and characters, okay? 
And we're going to set ourselves up for the rest of the 26 chapters that we're going to be looking at in the next two months. Let's go back and let's say a prayer. Father, we're so grateful to you. Uh, God, we have a lot of stuff to cover in the next few weeks. Help us to really be focused on you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. And God, help us to really see you in a clearer way and see our mission. Uh, God, here on earth, and uh, Father, as long as we have breath, that song, uh, we want to speak for you, God. Give us boldness and accuracy as we speak about you and your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Paul wrote to the Romans. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul's saying, look, don't conform any longer to the patterns that we see. And as Dink gave us a little brief picture of the Roman world at that time, it was full of idols, it was full of religiosity. It wasn't just a bunch of pagans. The fact is, in the Roman world at that time, the Greek world, if you didn't believe in God, you were a weirdo. It just depends on what kind of God that you believe in. Okay? And we're not that different from that today. Most Americans will tell you that they believe in God. But what did Paul say? Paul says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. The way they worship and the way that they think of who God is, we need to be informed by scriptures. That's why it's so important for us to go back and be a people of the word. The Old Testament says, my people perish. Why? Because they don't know. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. If there's anything that I'd like you to do is to really think, that's why I love, love Kenny. Kenny's all, always about the practical. And I learned a lot from Kenny on that. You know, let's get in the middle aisle. Let's meet one another in five minutes and, and this and that. I'm more, let's think about these things, right? But I got to land on some of these things. I want to encourage you as a practical, as we're going through this, get a good commentary. Read through the book of Acts. Maybe if you just do one chapter a day. You know, and just really dig into it. And even if you don't have a commentary, there is something about intentional reading of the scripture, just reading it over and over and over again and getting the NIV, getting the NASV and these different versions of the Bible and really get into the scripture, being infused by scriptures. Amen? So that's what Paul is trying to do. He said, do not be conforming religiously to the patterns of the world. And we're going to be talking about some stuff here that is it's going to be confronting some of those things that are flying around in uh, 2018 America today. And that's why it's so important that we go back to scriptures, right? Because I don't want you to think, well, Ken uh, made these up. You and I have to really, it's not my words. These are biblical words. We got to look at these things together. Okay, so when I was a young minister, I was always trying to convince people of stuff. 30 years later, I'm like, hey, look, this is what it says. All right, what do you think? I can totally see why Jesus asks more questions than he receives. What do you think? Who do you think I am? What do you say? You got to go back and forth with the word of God. There are three things I want to look at in the book of Acts 1 and 2. Number one is the need for human leadership. 
You see, Jesus only spent three years of his life here. That's it. Three years. He didn't even get a bachelor degree. I mean, he's, he, I mean, he didn't get it. Three years. Well, he finished thoroughly, right? The second is the role of the Holy Spirit. Who's in charge in the book of Acts? These bunch of guys getting together, scheming, or is it God himself through his Holy Spirit? And number three, the gift of repentance. You know, that word metanoia in the Greek it, it, and in the English, it's, it's such a religious word in some ways, and people are turned off by it, repentance. And yet, you know, I want to really look at it and go, it's a gift to be able to change, to be able to be transformed, to be able to have a new way of thinking in our minds. You know, Lena and I have been married for 26 years, and we're still working on stuff. And a lot of what I find is just the way that I think needs to change. The way that I see our past needs to be tweaked or changed or brought out into the light and discussed over and over again in order to change. Point number one, the need for a human relationship. This is pretty cool. After he said this, Jesus, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him, hid him from their sights. Jesus lays out this great, incredible, amazing scheme for world domination, and then he takes off. And if you continue to read in Acts chapter 1, the Bible says that the disciples looked up into the sky, and then the angel had to say, what are you looking at? He's coming back, but not now. And the disciples, you must have, I, I think about this all the time, how they must felt. This is all me. I got to really take care of this. And then I think they were really intimidated by that as well. And I think we feel like that sometimes as well, right? We, what do we do? We got this church here, you know, I'm in the midst of my job and I see all these people. I'm confronted with all these different scenarios. What do I do? I got some good news. We're not alone. Amen. But there is a need for human leadership though. Okay. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem based on what Jesus says. From the hill, he called the Mount of Olives. A Sabbath day walked from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. They all joined together constantly in prayer. Along with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. You know what convinced Jesus' brothers to come back? At first they were kind of skeptical was that he came back to life, Right? I think that would do for me. My brothers, you know, had some miracles and stuff like that. So he spent 40 days to teach him about the kingdom of God. But I get really convicted about this passage here, about talking about, what do I do? I'm not sure what I need to do. They were constantly in prayer. I look at our fellowship and my own life, and I'm always convicted about this passage. You know why? Prayer is hard work for me. How many of us are readers in here, loves to read the Word of God? Okay? I'm like that. I love to read. I can spend hours and hours and hours reading. Prayer is a struggle for me. It's work. I got to set a time. I got to go out. I got to put people together to go pray together. And yet the Bible says what? That they were constantly in prayer. I want to encourage our fellowship here today. And I... I know that I've not been a good example. I'm just being frank here. 
and we need to pray more. I need your help in this. Let's, instead of just getting a lunch together, let's go, hey, can we go take a walk and pray together? Amen? Can we find, let's go to the beach in the morning. Let's go pray together. Instead of feeding ourselves with food, let's pray. Let's, let's feed ourselves with God's word. Another thing is, in, in, in conjunction with that, is fasting. So in the next few months, uh, especially leading up to great feasting in December and in Thanksgiving, I want to do a time where we can fast together as a people. There's something about fasting together. So after they prayed, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scriptures have been fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas. He served as guides for those arrested, arrested Jesus. He was one of the number and shared in our ministry. What did they do? The Bible says what about Peter? This is the same Peter that about 40 days ago? He was the same guy, wasn't it? That turned Jesus, you know, like turned his blind eye towards Jesus? Denied him three times? To a little girl, you know, in the marketplace? Same one. You know, when I read this passage here, it gives me so much encouragement and such a challenge as well. I would say Peter and Judas both messed up. All right? But you don't find Judas anymore. But you find Peter standing up in the midst of 120 people. Do you think that the 120 knew exactly what Peter did? Absolutely. One thing I appreciate about Peter in terms of leadership is that you always have to get up. You always got to get up. Failure is part of the human existence. And instead of feeling sorry for ourselves like Judas did, instead of this repentance that is our own making and you know our own feelings and you know just groveling in our own self-pity, I love this passage. Forty days later, a little bit over a month, Peter was the leader of this group. Leadership is not perfection. Leadership is looking at our lives and go, I have gone through some failures in the past, but I'm not going to dwell in them. I'm going to get up because we need to do something now. A lot of us have been disciples for a long time, and we've seen our share of failures. We've seen our share of mistakes that we've made. And I got some good news. It's okay. It's okay. And the fact that Peter was chosen to be the guy who leads this ragtag bunch of people, it really is a testimony to that. And it should really encourage us to get up over and over and over and over again. Amen? But having said that, the church really needs leadership. Okay? It needs leadership. It needs people, brothers and sisters, sisters and brothers, who are up and speaking up, leading by examples, making a difference, standing in front of tanks. That guy inspired a whole generation of people. He did. It's not just talk, but it's the way that we live, the way that we go through our lives, you know, sharing with people, getting in there with people, loving people, setting an example for others 
to follow. And I love the passage. It says that the, the women were there as well. And we don't have time to go through that, but that was incredibly revolutionary. And I think the book of Acts, as Luke was the author of it, as we think, made it a point to include the women in it as well. And I'm, I'm glad that we had our professor who came out about a month and a half ago. I got an email from her, and she's blown away by our church. She says that she herself was refreshed by the level of our encouragement, our level of curiosity, and really our desire to, to really shape a more God-like church. And she was inspired, and she said that it refreshed her soul as one. Well. I think we need to hear that, amen? The men and the women were together working together. So don't let gender or whatever hinder us from doing what God wants us to do. For, said Peter, it is written in the, in the book of the Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, may another take up uh, his place of leadership. It was so important, leadership was so important in the Bible that at the beginning of the book of Acts, huge chunk of chapter 1 was dedicated to that. Point number 2. The role of the Holy Spirit. The role of the Holy Spirit. I'm glad that we had, you know, Byron come out and taught about the Holy Spirit. Right? And I think, you know, like I said before, the Holy Spirit's kind of like the the abs, you know, we, we work on the arms, we work on the legs, but the abs, I know for me, it, it just doesn't happen. So these tight shirts that I'm wearing, it's killing me. You know, it's like I can't breathe. So if a button pops out and hits you in the eye, I'm so sorry about that. You know, but it's, it's just something that I don't like to work on. But I was really appreciative of Byron to come and talk about the Holy Spirit. I think that's something that, to be fair, we just don't learn a lot about. But throughout the book of Acts, what are you going to see? It's the Holy Spirit that drives the church. It's not the apostles. Peter, he was there for about the first half of the book of Acts. And then Paul was the main character. You know, and then you got all these different people that stood up, the seven uh, deacons. But it's the Holy Spirit throughout the Bible driving the narrative, driving the church forward, causing persecution, allowing people to be, you know, moving here and moving there and pushing the church forward, the role of the Holy Spirit. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So what does the Bible say about the spirits? It's the comforter. It's multifaceted. He's a counselor, right? But what does the Spirit do? The Bible says that the Spirit will guide us into all truth. All these different things, not just the nice feeling that the Holy Spirit provides us and comfort us, we're not alone, as we said, but it will guide us and lead us, walk this way. Okay? So that's what it means to be guided by the Spirit. Not just a nice feeling that we get. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I say, said to the Spirit, that the Spirit will, will, uh, will receive from me what he will make known to you. That seems like a mouthful. 
But you know what that's basically saying in John? God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God and Jesus, they all work together. It's a God thing. So when you look at the theology of the book of Acts, it really does point to the fact, it doesn't say Trinitarianism or or any of those things, but it describes what and who God is. So that helps us a little bit. You know, the, the Trinity is one of the hardest things for theologians to explain. It's just one of those things. It's easy to understand, but it's also hard to explain as well. Okay, so they get together, and here's what happens. And the Holy Spirit makes a statement about who's in charge of the church back then and who's in charge of the church today. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages or tongues as the Spirit enabled them. What were these people empowered by? The Holy Spirit. What got the church started? The Holy Spirit. What made a definitive mark that who's in charge of the church? It's the Holy Spirit. What does that mean for us here, 2018? Does the Holy Spirit still lead the church? Absolutely. What does that mean for us in 2018? All of our plans, all of the things that we're thinking about, they're great, but let's leave room for the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's be flexible. Let's be flexible in terms of where the church is going to go. We're not, I know for some of us here who are like really control freaks a little bit, that's a hard one for us. But as we read the book of Acts, they did some crazy things that were not planned. They turned on a dime in terms of, you know, where they went, what city they went. They got kicked out of cities and um, I will, John. You know, I don't know if you guys know, but we have a like a little monitor here that gives me a little bit, and John put in red, move it along. <laughs> so, I will, I will. I appreciate it. It's, it's not the Holy Spirit, that was John. That was, a, that was more like John. So, all right. So, I think we gotta be humble. I think we gotta really be able to be humble. We're not in control of this thing, amen? We're not. Let's be flexible. Let's let's learn how to be flexible people, not stoic and and just 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 crusty. And we can get like that if we're not moved by God's Holy Spirit. It's true. It's 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 church could be. I'll just be frank. You know, last week I got in trouble. I, I got, just to let you know, some people talk to me. But today I, I'm going to be a little more careful. But church can be such a, a stinky place to be. It can be. I don't know what it is. We don't go to our jobs, you know, laying out all of our problems and expect people to fix it. But we do that with church. It's like, you owe it to me. Like what Brandon says, you, who said? 
right? That's why I'm laying these things out. It's God. It's the Holy Spirit that we got to prayer. And those are the things that we got to really get our strength from in order to give to one another. We don't want to be like that character in the, you know, when I was growing up, you know, Schlepprock. You ever see Schlepprock? This is, I'm dating myself. Schlepprock was a character, was a cartoon character that everywhere he walked, it could be like a bright, beautiful, sunny day, but there was like a storm cloud over him. Like wherever he went, it could be like a beautiful day, but there's a storm cloud. Oh, you know, maybe I'm getting confused with something else. But that's, to me, that's like Schlepprock Christianity. I've been a disciple for 30 years. It's easy to see the problems. It's so easy. I'm an expert at it. What is hard is to really figure out how to fix it and setting an example, being a leader of it. Amen? Let me close on out. I appreciate John. After I said that, he took it right off. That, that was the spirit, all right? The gift of repentance. The gift of repentance. Then he opened their minds. This is in the book of Luke. This is after the resurrection. Then he opened their minds so that he could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what it is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead and on the third day in repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. I'm going over and over and over again because these disciples needed to be reminded. They needed to know that what we're doing is scripturally based. Okay, it's got to be scripturally based. And the Bible says that repentance is part of that. So Peter, remembering the words of Jesus, utters this principle, this theme, to the people that were to be the first members of God's church. He says, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep a hold of him. What did Peter say? We are, you know, I appreciate what Brandon talked about. We, we get so, so, you know, we, we we're so entitled sometimes. But Peter is trying to point out, hey, you know, we all put Jesus on the cross. Even if there's no one else, we're the people to put Jesus on the cross. Not the Jews, not, not the bad Jews or the Romans, but all of us put Jesus on the cross. Amen? When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Remember last week we talked about inside out? The church is not about these programs or these productions that we put on. It's about who we are as disciples inside out. The quality of our lives. You know, last week I confessed some sins and some people came up to me and go, you know, Ken, it makes us maybe not trust you as much. I'll tell you the truth. Sometimes I do that just to let you know what's going on in my life. In the 30 years, the 26 years I've married to Lena, I've lied to her twice. In the 30 years I've been a disciple, I've not looked at pornography, even though I struggle with that every day when I was in college, uh, not even one time. Okay? So I share these things with you to let you know what I'm working on, but what I do 
work on in my heart 30 years later is I become a little bit like the older brother. That's my sin. The crustiness and the bitterness and the anger and the lack of faith in, in, in people and in the world and in, in, in the church even. Right? So these are the things that we're working on that we constantly have to be cut to the heart about. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive individually the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all those who are far off. This was the normative way that people became Christians in the New Testament. They repented, and they got baptized. This is the pattern that was set before us. Okay? What if you get baptized and you don't repent? I don't see that pattern. It works together. Again, in India, they used to have these people called rice Christians because, you know, these missionaries would go there and they had a big old truck and they had a baptistry in the truck and they had big bags of rice. And then if you agreed to get baptized, they'll give you a bag of rice. And so that's why they call them bag rice Christians, right? Does that work? I don't think so. Right? Repentance and baptism goes together and other things as well. Let me close out with this. The church is made up of people that are constantly repenting. That's what a church should be like. Amen? Amen. How pleasant it would be if we come up to each other and says, this is what I'm working on. What are you working on? Isn't that cool? This is what I'm working on. Not down, not depressed, not sad, you know, whatever, but the gift of repentance. This is what God is giving me a chance to work on. That's refreshing. Not pointing the fingers first, but but looking at ourselves with confidence. We talk a lot about grace, and that's what grace is. Grace is not this, you know, not looking at our own lives and just trying to grab a feeling of like, God loves me, God loves me, and trying to convince God loves me, God loves me. God loves you. You know, I talked to Gabby the other day. I said, you know, we're proud of you, right, Gabs? She goes, yeah, yeah, I know, Dad. He goes, how do you know? I just know. I go, wow, that's a great answer. I just know. I just know. God loves us. How do you know? I just know. I just know. And it allows us to repent. Amen? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with all. Many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. That's a great fellowship. Amen? It comes with leadership, it comes with being guided by the Holy Spirit. And it comes with understanding what repentance is. It's a gift of God. All right? All right, have a great week. All right. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.